Welcome to the Women's Issues Podcast. My name's Heidi. My name's Julia. Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about Senate Bill number 23 in Ohio, which is the Human Rights Protection Act, aka the Heartbeat Bill. This bill was just recently put into law last week by Governor Mike DeWine. What it does is that it prevents women from getting an abortion um, after six weeks of knowing that they're pregnant. So basically, a lot of women don't know that they're pregnant until around that time or after that time. Um, so then that's when it's illegal now in Ohio. Um, Ohio is also the third state this year to do this, um, and the sixth state overall in the United States. Um, and the only exception to the bill as of right now is to save the mother's life in a medical emergency. So basically what that means is there's no other exceptions. The main issue that most people have with this bill is there's no exceptions for rape or incest or anything like that. Depending on who you talk to, there are a lot of other problems with it, but mainly people are upset about the issue of rape and incest. Mm -hmm. So this brings us back to precedent. A lot of people are upset about this bill because they think it's unconstitutional and that it was proved a long time ago in the 70s with Roe versus Wade. Just to give a little background on that, um, that case happened back in the 70s and uh, the woman, Roe, wanted to have an abortion and she had to go to a totally different state other than Texas to have an abortion because she could not access one in Texas. So she took it to court and after a lengthy trial, the court ruled this exact ruling that a woman's right to an abortion fell within the right to privacy, which is protected by the 14th Amendment. This decision gave a woman total autonomy over the pregnancy during the first trimester and defined different levels of state interest for the second and third trimesters. This ruling in the 70s actually affected 46 states, and they it ended up changing those laws because they all had different types of laws for depending on the state about abortion and states still do to this day but this case at least protected women's right to abortion in the first trimester i think in ohio the the rule as it stands is that abortion is still illegal but it's only or it's still legal sorry in the first trimester but since this law will be enacted in three months it will not be legal unless it's in the first six weeks of precedent. Um, So we actually listened to some of the case of Roe v. Wade, and we listened to a lot of the argument by Roe's attorney, which is Sarah R. Weddington. We wanted to play some of the, what she has to say about this, that brought up some interesting points about why this bill is not necessarily cut and dry and that it doesn't protect a lot of the things that it should. But in Texas, we tell a doctor that unless he can decide whether it's necessary for the purpose of saving her life and for no other reason, that he is subject to criminal sanction. I think it's important to note the range of problems that could be presented to a doctor. The court, for example, uh, cited the instance of suicide. If a woman comes in alleging that she will commit suicide, is it then necessary for him to do, or can he do an abortion for the purpose of saving her life? Or is that a situation where he has to have something more? I think. So after listening to that, Julie and I were talking about how that is very interesting as this, even as this bill stands and as it stood 
before with Roe v. Wade that what does it mean to save a woman's life? Does it mean that the yeah. fetus is killing her or what else do you have to say? That she's about a that? danger to herself. Um, I think that that's a really good point that um, Weddington made is that even though it might not be a medical emergency necessarily, it could also be a mental health emergency where, you know, the woman is not in a state where she is able to have a child. Um, and she mentioned the example of if the woman is, you know, of suicide risk, what do you do? Because, you know, is that a medical emergency or is that not? Um, and would that constitute getting an abortion even after the heartbeat bill is passed? Um, which I think is really interesting, talking about the mental health aspect of um, pregnancy too. Right. And not even that, so yeah, it's, it's complicated for uh, the doctor to decide whether this is a medical emergency or not is is would you some people would say that you know um a mother being at risk for suicide really isn't a medical emergency and because of these different discrepancies in judgment this law is too vague and I feel personally and I'm sure many others do that a doctor might not even be comfortable performing an abortion because they could end up being taken to court and they could mm-hmm. say, well, maybe the reason that you did perform it wasn't actually a medical need or something like that. So I fear that people who are even allowed to perform this procedure would to be too afraid to, even if they would be protected on with the law. Yeah. It might still be, it still could be risky. So not only does this bill limit women in that aspect, but it also limits the doctors that could help these women. Yeah. So, obviously, Roe versus Wade is probably one of the biggest arguments for this case, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting but when we were reading about this case was that um, a woman's right to an abortion fell within the right to privacy. What do you think about that? Um, I think that that's fair. Like, I think that that's a great ruling, like, that, you know, a woman's... A woman's choice to have an abortion does not need to be something that is publicized or, you know, something that everybody knows about. Um, I think that it is fair for a woman to say, I want to have an abortion, but I don't want everybody to know about it. And I think that it does fall under a woman's right to privacy and a woman's mm-hmm. right to choose what she wants to do with her own body. Um, what do you think about it? I think that I thought it was really interesting that she presented that argument or that the courts actually ruled a court of seven white, probably conservative men, where the, they ruled on, I believe, Harry A. Blackman, or the majority opinion, they said that, yeah, this is a right to privacy, and that uh, it should be every woman's choice, at least in the first trimester. So that was, like, really monumental for them to come to that conclusion. Yeah. So Sarah had a much more in her argument that was very interesting she said that um in the absence of abortions or legal medically safe abortions women often result to illegal abortions which is something that every single person i think even on our campus has mentioned a lot of people do say yeah like they understand that even if you know abortion is deemed illegal that it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It means that it's going. It's not going to happen safely anymore. And there won't be a place for women to go to safely have an abortion. Yeah, and then I start to think about, that's almost criminalizing 
doctors, you know, mm-hmm. people who went to school for many, many years and have learned these procedures to help women and then they're being criminalized for it yeah. in that way. And then what do you do if a woman comes to you as a, a doctor and they say, hey, like, I want an abortion and if I can't get one here, I'm going to do it myself. Then is she medically in danger? Because technically there are tons of medical, yeah. severe medical side effects that you can have with any sort of at-home abortion, if you will. So that's just another reason why I think that it's too too complicated with the, unless there's a reasonable medical need, is pretty much what the bill says. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that that is way too um, general, in my opinion. I think that they're overlooking a lot of things um, in regards to, you know, medical need. Um, because who defines medical need? Again, like... Who, who, who's to say if somebody, you know, medically needs an abortion or, you know, has some type of, if, if mental health falls under the medical need, that's my big thing for me. Yeah, and I think, like, we are obviously both on the same page, and I think that my issue, this is why I like the idea of choice, because choice is much less limited. Like, mm-hmm. we have established in our state, at least before, that after the first trimester, you can't have an abortion. And if, if at least having that option, there's no like real extreme limitations. Like the, the only really limitation that is in effect there is that, yeah, afterwards you can't have it, but during the first trimester you can. And then when you have a limiting law like this saying that you, can, you can't have an abortion after six weeks unless, and then you have all of these lists of things you could never possibly fully define all of the things that are an exception it would take way too long yeah exactly so talking about this and talking about you know um the timing of an abortion especially with this new law about you know six weeks it kind of brought up when we were doing our research the question about you know what makes somebody a person what makes a fetus a person what makes a person a person um And so we were kind of talking about that and questioning, you know, is somebody alive when they're six weeks old and what makes them alive if you think that they are? Yeah, I thought that that was interesting. I've been talking to a lot of the psychology department and I have a really uh, good relationship with some of those professors. And I was uh, actually one of the professors asked me if I knew about what was going on with the heartbeat bill because he knew I would be upset (laughs) and we were talking about it and I was like well really the one thing that makes me upset the most is that like what really makes a person a person like I don't think that you could look up any sort of source that you're that you want you could do a quick google search you can look anywhere and every website every book every article it's going to give you a different answer so I don't know like I guess in the heartbeat bill, it's very clear that they're saying, yes, a heartbeat makes you a person. But I think you had some interesting perspectives about what you said you think generally makes a person. For me, it's related to, you know, cognitive thought and complex thought and being able to, you know, have your own, uh, have your own thoughts, I guess. Um, I don't think that it's once you have a heartbeat, you're... A fully functioning human. Like, or that you're alive, yeah. No. I think, why why is it that we're saying, oh, if you have a regular functioning circul- circulatory system, that you are a person, that you are a life? 
Right, because I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, certain people who have certain disabilities or certain health problems aren't people. But it's just an important question to ask. Like, if we're saying that, oh, like, this heartbeat makes them a person, well, does it really make them a person? And at this point, and during the pregnancy, at the six-week limit, your child is the size of a pea. Right. If they're even considered a child at that point, which is another argument. Yeah. And there's really nobody who can answer that question distinctively. I mean... It's all based on opinion, so... And I know that DeWine's getting a lot of the rap. He really just signed it. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but thinking about who wrote this, whoever wrote this and came up with this idea thinks that it is a heartbeat that makes you a life and that Mm. they're protecting life once there's a heartbeat. And I don't know, I think that it's unfair for a group of people or however many people to decide what every person decides is a life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's also important to talk about, you know, they say that they're pr- protecting life and they're, the whole entire name of this act is the Human Rights Protection Act, when really a lot of people and myself view it as something that is, you know, limiting rights rather than protecting them. Well, I think, too, that people say, like, yes, it's a Human Rights Protection Act, but I don't really think that you're protecting any rights. I think that you're protecting an unborn life, according to some people. Mm-hmm. So, but it seems that it's not really, you're not protecting the woman's rights to her current or her previous rights to an abortion. So I don't know if it's necessarily fair to call it that. And furthermore, I would say that women, their rights are almost being taken away yeah. in some form. Like, yes, abortion is still still legal. So I think that, Like, they thought that that would be a good compromise, but it's incredibly not due to how many people have said, like, I think it says that six weeks pregnant, you would have missed your period once, and it would be a couple weeks after that that you would probably be six weeks pregnant. and it was really interesting when we were talking about, you know, people, women who um, aren't on birth control and who do have, you know, irregular periods anyway, that would be, you know, nothing that they would question at that point. And then, you know, by the time that they realized that they were pregnant and if they decided that they did want to have an abortion, it's too late. And a lot of this other argument is people saying, like, you know, you have to take responsibility for your actions. And then I think about that and I'm thinking, oh, there are some people who are maybe around our age and their parents are against their access to birth control. So the only access they have is to condoms, and I believe condoms are around the middle 80% effective. So mm-hmm. then what if you do use protection, and then you have some sort of illness where your periods are irregular, and then you end up pregnant and there's nothing you can do about it? Then what do you, you have no control or options at that point. You think that you're safe, and then you're used to missing a period. Maybe you're suspicious, but you're pretty certain you're okay, and then you're mm-hmm. not. Well, speaking about other options, too, um, a lot of the... Uh, I guess argument is that adoption is still an option and that you know you don't have to have an abortion whereas you can carry your baby to full term and give birth and then you know um, give your baby up for adoption Um, and while you know that is a great option for some people it doesn't work for everybody and it's not great for everyone and um, there is a a, I would say a large problem with the adoption um, system as it is right now um, because there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of children in the system who just get uh, uh, essentially swallowed up by the system. So I, I, don't, I, I can understand why somebody would say, you know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, then if you're being 
if you're technically being forced, because that's how I view that, after mm-hmm. if you're not able to get an abortion and you refuse to do unsafe things to abort your child, then you're being forced to have a child that you don't really want to have. Yeah. And then by the time you've carried it for nine months, maybe you don't want to keep your child, which it's been with you for nine months and you've made that motherly bond that people say that you have with your child by the time um, it's that well developed. And then maybe you don't want to give your baby up, but you really don't have the resources to take care of a child. So yeah. I think that that's difficult. And I don't think that people, they make it, they simplify this issue and say that it's, you know, just have your baby and give it up for adoption. Like, it's really not that easy. Adoption yeah. is, it's terrible. It's sad to have to decide that you can't take care of your child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, an important statistic we found is that um, the number of children in the adoption system had actually been cut in half, but it was mainly because of the Roe v. Wade case that mm-hmm. legalized abortion. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's it's hard to kind of conceive what is going to happen to those numbers now that um, now that there are being laws placed on women's reproductive rights. Yeah, and how many children are going to be in the system until they age out of it, I think is what it's called. Yeah, once you turn 18. Yeah. Um. So finishing, we want to talk about um, the implications and like the end goal, I guess, of, of trying to, or not trying to, but successfully um, putting these, you know, bills into law about heartbeat bills. Um, so basically, the, like, the, the goal is to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, a lot of these smaller laws, which do have, you know, large implications, do, you know, strive to, you know, limit women's reproductive rights. So I think it's also important to talk about what would happen if Roe v. Wade was overturned. So um, basically what would happen would be that all the decisions that are um, on abortion laws would be completely left up to the states because there would be no law, no federal law protecting women's rights anymore. Um, which for some states that doesn't really make much of a difference because there are some states that do have laws protecting um, rights to abortion. Um, however, there are only about nine of them, and there are some states where it would be completely illegal, um, and there are about six of those. So um, it would be inevitably completely up to your state. Yeah, I think that I think that, that could be kind of a scary thing. I think Roe v. Mm-hmm. Wade is a really good, like, almost security blanket for a lot of women, and that mm-hmm. it was a really big victory for women in the 70s and it almost feels like we're kind of going back in history now so we don't really know what's to come for women and their rights to autonomy of their own bodies agree so that's been women's issues with julia and heidi thanks for listening